This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. We are now in a new series entitled The Love of God. And uh, we're in the third message today of this new series entitled God's Love Remains Even at Our Worst. And I want you to think about this. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Uh, this is a very familiar story that I'm going to share with you today, but my prayer is that we're going to be talking about some things in the context of this story that you've never thought about. And uh, I pray that the Holy Spirit would give you something fresh today that you can take home with you and Maybe even when you get in the car, you turn to your neighbor and say, I never thought about it that way. And may the Holy Spirit give you something to apply to your personal life and something that you can take and share with somebody else. You know, the whole thing about the gospel and you being saved, if you are, it's about one beggar telling another beggar where he found the bread. That's what it's all about. And uh, we have a responsibility to do that. And so we're going to read in just a few moments uh, these scriptures I'm going to read for you in Luke chapter 15, and I want to begin with 11, verse number 11, and I'm going to read in the introduction of today's message down through verse number 13. And so as we look in God's Word in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse number 11, and he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And so this morning, I want you to think about this subject. God's love remains even at our worst. Without a question, without a doubt, this is probably one of the most familiar stories to you in all of the Bible. You have heard this story about the prodigal son countless of times. There's no doubt about that. Perhaps you don't understand or you've never took time to look this up, but the word prodigal means reckless, and it's categorized by wasteful expenditures and rebellious and lavish living. It also implies one who has returned after being gone from a long absence. I think we're all familiar with that, but I wanted to share it with you in the way of the introduction this morning. Perhaps you know somebody right now in your family that you would say, there's a prodigal within my reach. Maybe today you would say that this applies to you personally. 
The old song says, I wandered far away from God, now I'm coming home. We all know that great song, and we've sang it many, many times. But here's the truth of the matter. Somewhere in all of our lives, at one time or another, we have all been a prodigal. A time when we drifted, a time when we broke hearts, a time when we became self-centered, a time when we have maybe perhaps left our homes bitter, and maybe, just maybe as a Christian, when we left the Father's side for a period of time. We call that the backsliding days of our life. In the backsliding days of our lives, or maybe someone who is experiencing that now, and you know, maybe we have been in a place in our life where it took a catastrophe to bring us back to God. Maybe some of us have experienced a situation where just in the nick of time, grace stepped in. Some of us have known the joy. We experienced the goodness of God where we have had a happy ending to our wayward journey when we came to our senses right before the train wreck. And then there are those, some who have lost everything they have had and had to start life all over again because of this wayward life. Most of the time when we read the story that's before us today, our main focus is about the young man who drifted away. But I think if we look at this a little more closely, I think the greater emphasis, and that's what I would like to make applicable for you and I today, is that I want to focus on this young man's father. And I remind you this morning that we're preaching on the love of God. One of the most heart-gripping truths about this story, if you're familiar with it, and I'm assuming that most people are this morning, about this story is that this boy's father loved his son even when his son did not demonstrate love for him. Even when his son was disruptive, even when he was disrespectful, even when his son was only thinking of himself, the father still loved him. And not only that, but in this awful period of time, we also see the father waiting patiently for his son. He didn't give up on him. And without any hesitation, he was ready and willing to forgive him when he came home and came to a census. And so this story, most of the time, is about a father and his two sons. But if that's all that we get out of this today, we're going to miss the greater emphasis and the greater truth. And that is what I'd like for you to see this morning in the text that we're reading, because in this story we can see a picture if you would allow the Holy Spirit to paint it for you in your heart and your mind today, we can see the picture of our Heavenly Father who loves us as well even when we have become His wayward son or His wayward daughter. 
And we can see in this picture the father who eagerly awaits our return to his side when we drift. I would like to say, and I would like for us to think, and I guess we probably would all like to pretend that as a Christian, we're always close to the Lord. That we're always near his side. But hey, we're in church. We need to be honest about it. Amen. And the truth of the matter is that is not where we constantly always live. The old song says, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There's a precious fountain. All of us would like to think that our neighbor beside us and even we ourselves always, always stay near the cross. That's just not how it is. And so I'm thankful that when we drift and when we rebel and When we stray, he is there. Our heavenly father is there waiting patiently in light. We find him to be there all the time. Now, in the gospel of Luke chapter 15, the Bible talks about three parables. One of the parables is about the lost sheep. Another parable is about the lost coin. And the third parable is about the lost son. Now listen to this. In the parable of the lost sheep, the lost sheep is one of a hundred. The lost coin is one of ten. But the lost son is one of two. By the way, this is the longest parable that Jesus had given I want you to remember now, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. I think we all know that. I want you to read verse 13 with me again. Notice this. The Bible says, And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now again, this parable is talking about a wayward, reckless, rebellious phase this young son was going through. And again, without question, we have all been in this place. A lot of times people get into a place like this when they lose respect for authority or when their moral compass is broken and they're no longer to discipline themselves with right and wrong. And so let me remind us all of something today. Every single one of us can get in a phase like this in our life at any given time. And so I want us to consider some things about this story and see exactly how it pertains to you and I today. And so the first truth, if you're looking at your bulletin and follow along with me this morning, is this, and I want to share this truth with you today. God loves us even when we're breaking his heart. That's number one. In Luke chapter 15, I want to reread verse 11 and 12. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And so here we can see how this young son was being extremely impatient to get out from underneath the authority of his home. He was saying, Dad, I'm feeling too cramped. I don't feel comfortable anymore under your roof. I'm tired of all the rules. I want my freedom. I'm leaving and I want my inheritance. 
Now here's something about this story that you may not know, and this is very important. And so if you don't, you don't know this particular historical place or part in the story today, learn it because it's a truth that you want to hold on to and hang on to as you reminisce on this story later on sometimes in the future. Leaving home in the manner that this young man left had very serious consequences in the community. This is important. If the child leaving under these conditions turned out to be a failure, got into nothing but trouble, was unsuccessful, became a reproach, when that phase was over and that child wanted to return home, Coming home meant that he was going to be shunned by the entire community. Everyone who decided to leave their families in this type of manner knew quite well the risk they were taking. If things did not turn out well for them, they knew what they would be facing when they returned back home. And this is something this man in the story, he knew quite well. But you see, the immaturity and the impatience of the young man had blinded him of all of the realities. And so this young man took his share of his inheritance and he left. Now, the interesting thing is this, and I hope that you would allow this spiritual insight to grasp your heart today. When this young man decided that he was going to leave his father's authority... The decision was reckless, it was impatient, it was immature. But what happens is, when this young man approached his father with all of his plans and all of his intentions, the Bible teaches us that this father lets him go. The father knew the consequences just like the son did. The father knew that if things were not going to work out, as this young man had dreamed and anticipated and was going to come home unsuccessful, leaving in a rebellious manner, the father knew that when the son came back, there were going to be community consequences as well. The young man knew that. Even at that, though, the father did not. Here's the important thing. The father did not exercise his will against the will of the son. Are you with me? The father knowing what was going to happen, the father stepped aside and said, well, there's the door. He did not try to brace himself in the door frame and say under no circumstance over my dead body, I'll have to call all the servants in here. We're going to hogtie you until you come to your senses. That's not what happened. When the young man decided to go, the father stepped aside and let him go, both knowing the full consequence of coming back. We don't read that the father begins to shout, that he begins to plead, that he begins to beg for this boy to stay. That's not what he did. He didn't try to restrain him in any manner or form. What the father did here is he began, here's what the father did. When he said, there's the door, and this young man began to go out, leaving authority, leaving in rebellion, leaving recklessly, the father stepped aside and let him go. But here's what the father did. He didn't restrain him, 
but he began personally, internally, absorbing the pain of what was taking place and what was yet to come. He began to bear the burden. He knew that this boy was making a decision that was not wise. He knew the consequences. He knew all of the sorrow that was about to come, but he stepped aside and he let his son go. And with a broken heart, I emphasize, it's not like he didn't care. It's not like he didn't love him. It's not like he wasn't going to be concerned. This boy's father stepped aside and let him go with a broken, heavy heart. But that's just like the love of God. Whenever we make decisions, listen now, that are not wise, that are full of consequences, we know the wages of sin. We know all of these things. Whenever we make decisions that break his heart, when he knows what will happen, when we know what will happen, we all know the wages of sin. Listen, God never, ever forces me or forces you to do the right thing. He steps back. He lets us go. He will never at any point in time force his will against your will. And here's the great truth about God's love this morning, that no matter what we have decided to do, if we're going to leave the side of our Heavenly Father and we're going to go out in the world and we're going to just drift away, He will let us go. He will not force us to do anything against our will. But He loves you here. He loves you here. He loves you here, and he sees what's coming, and he loves you here. He loves you just the same. Number two this morning, God not only loves us when we make bad decisions, but he loves us, notice this, when we decide to walk away from him. Some of us have made conscious decisions to do that in our life before, and then there have been circumstances and things where we really didn't see it all happening at once. But before we knew it, we were in that place. But I'm thankful that God has given us a promise in his word that no matter what we do, and there have been many times in my life, and I'm sure there have been many times in your life, when you've walked away from him. Maybe today you're not as close to him as you were one time in your life. There was a time perhaps that you were much closer to God. I don't know. But no matter what we do, he has promised never to leave us. In Hebrews 13, 5, he's promised never to leave us nor forsake us, no matter what. Look at verse 13 again in Luke 15. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Here's what happened. The son gathered all of his stuff. And he left. I wonder how many people aware of this. Because it just didn't, it wasn't a secret thing in the family. I'm sure the servants began to talk. Begin to talk among themselves. The younger son's getting ready to make a foolish decision. He's wanting his inheritance. He's wanting to leave. 
is breaking the heart of the father. Well, what's the father going to do? The father's going to let him go. And I'm sure they began to talk about it and it began to become rumor and gossip and all sorts of things. I'm sure they were people that were shaking their heads because they knew this boy did not have a plan in life. He did not have a wise uh, decision that he was making here. And so when it began to spread, when the servants began to talk, neighbors and farmhands and, and servants, people in the community, all knowing the consequence of failure, maybe even there were some that had hoped for the demise of this boy. Well, let him make his bed and let him lay in it. It ought to teach him a lesson. It ought to teach him right. But not the young man's father. The thing this young man's father probably was doing more so than anything else was praying for him. One day his son, he knew that one day his son would realize what a foolish mistake that he was making and all of these bad turns that he had taken. And his father knew that one day he would come back. Yes, the father knew that he was headed for trouble. He was headed for sorrow and that he also knew that the wounds, the toll of sin was going to take its consequence on him. He knew that he would find out soon that the grass was not greener on the other side. But nevertheless, with a broken heart and with his son's abandonment, the father stepped back and let his son go. But listen, it's just like our heavenly father. Many times with a broken heart and feeling abandoned, the father sadly lets us go. But do you know why God does this? Because he knows that in certain situations, here's the thing. We're all different. We all have different personalities. We all have strong wills to some degree. There's an essence of pride within us. There are emotions that we have that are different from one another in different circumstances. And here's what, why God lets us go sometimes. Because he knows that nothing else anybody says or nothing else anybody does, no matter what the preacher says, no matter what the preacher teaches, no matter all the Sunday school lessons that they have heard, God knows that some, it's going to take a serious consequence and bad choices and that's terrible, but for some, God knows that's what it's going to take for somebody to be turned around. The boy's father could have stopped and said, no, you're not leaving. You're not going, but he let him go. If God is all powerful, listen now, in a heartbreaking time like this, if God is all powerful and we believe he is, he's omnipotent and we get ready to drift. God knows us. He, he's He's omniscient. He knows what we're getting ready to do. He knows what we're thinking. God sees all of these things developing, and we believe him to be omnipotent. And believing that, God is capable of standing in the way of our path, and he's capable of saying, no, you're not going to do that, because if you do, it's going to lead to this and this, and then it's going to produce a life of sorrow and heartache, and I'm not going to let you do that. I'm not going to let you go. When we're bound and determined, no matter what the Holy Spirit has said to us in our hearts, no matter what the warning signs of scriptures, when we're bound and determined to do things our way and to become reckless in decisions with our lives, 
God steps out of the way knowing the consequences that are coming down the road. But here's the thing. God wants us to be close to him, not because he forces us to be close to him. God wants us to be close to him because it is the interbeing of our heart and our it's our intention, it's our emotion. It's what we want more than anything to be near the cross. God's not going to force us to be there. He wants us to stay close to him because we want to do it and that we have a desire to do it. He wants us to exercise our free will with him. There's a scripture in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33. It says, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my father, which is in heaven. Here's the thing. We have a free choice. We're either going to confess him or deny him. God, here's the thing. God not only loves us when we break his heart and when we walk away from him, but number three this morning, God also loves us when he knows we're wasting our life. When we're wasting opportunities, valuable opportunities and time. I want to read for you verse 13 and 14 again in Luke 15. The word says this, And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. I want you to notice these words, far country. The far country is not just about a location. This is important. Get this today. This young man got way off the road with his morals. Not only having a disrespect for authority, but he got way off the road with his morals. In verse 30, chapter 15, verse 30, look at this. But as soon as the sun was come, which had devoured thy living with harlots... Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Now, this young man, he lost his spiritual compass. And without question, he was now making decisions that resulted in the wasting of his life. In all probability, he never took time to check his money bag to see how low his funds were. He was living life with an unrestrained sinfulness, without any kind of discipline. He was just having what he thought was a good old time. But suddenly this man found himself with his pockets empty. He found himself where no friends could be found. And he found himself with the entire inheritance gone. He was living in, and there's a scripture for this. He was living in the fulfillment of Galatians chapter 6, verse number 8. And this is what the word says. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Hosea the prophet said it this way. In Hosea chapter 8, verse number 7. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. It hath no stalk, the bud yet shall yield no meal. If so be it, yield the strangers shall swallow it up. Yet in all of this now, if you're following the story thus far in all of this, while this man's father knew he was out there wasting his life, the father still loved him. 
That's just like the love of God. Number four, quickly. And the next truth that I want you to see in the story is this. God still loves us when we continue, when we continue to wallow in sin. When nothing seems to matter to us, when we trample upon the prayers of our loved ones, Maybe you're sitting here today as the result of a praying mother, a praying father, a praying prayer partner. Somebody came into your life and they took time to pray for you. You were out sowing wild oats. You were out doing your own thing, wandering from the Savior. And somebody was faithfully on their knees, perhaps by a bed, maybe at an altar. I don't know, but faithfully prayed for you. This boy's father and all of this He loved him, and he was still praying for him. Whenever we trample on the prayers of our loved ones, when we ignore the warnings of the Holy Spirit, God still loves us. Look at verse 14 and 15. The Bible says, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. Sometimes it takes the lowest point that we have ever been in our life in order for us to see the trouble that we're in. And then we say this, we step back when we get into what we think is the lowest point in our life. We step back and we say, well, how much worse can things get? Things are in such a disarray right now. How How much worse can they get? But we need to be careful when we start talking like that because, friend, things can get a whole lot worse than what may be worse before you. I think we need to exercise caution and mean business with God. For example, let me caution you about something. You have a prodigal that you're praying for. You have a prodigal that you're you're wanting to get back to his senses, to their to their wits, and to make good decisions. And you would like nothing more than to see them walking close to God. Let me tell you a prayer that you better be careful about praying. Don't ever pray a prayer like this unless you mean it. God, do whatever it takes. Don't do that unless you really mean that. Because when you say, God, whatever it takes, that's a big time prayer. All of us have people in our lives and our family that we want to see rekindled and renewed. But that's a powerful prayer and that's a serious place to put yourself in. This young man probably wondered, how much worse can things be than the way the situation is right now? But for this boy, things did get a whole lot worse. Not only had he broken the father's heart, not only had he left his father's side, not only had he wasted his life and wallowed in sin and lost everything that he had, but when he realized all of that, in verse 14, the Bible says, when, when he thought things could not get any worse than the way they were, and verse 14 said, on top of that, there arose a mighty famine in the land. Now, I believe it's at this point, this young man was probably beginning for the first time to realize exactly what he had done. He begins to think about his home and His mind goes back, but look at me in this situation. If I go back, I'll be shunned. 
If I go back, there will be people talking. If I go back, there will be people shaking their heads. People will laugh. They'll never stop talking about me. So in this point of the story, so what does this man do? He got a job. That might sound good and productive for some. Look at this. He's still trying to hold out. He didn't start running back yet. Look at this in verses 15 and 16. And when he joined himself, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. In verse 16, and he would feign. You know what feign means? You know, if you're taking notes in your Bible, you come across a word like that. You say, what in the world is that? We don't talk like that anymore. What does this word mean? It means gladly. Maybe somewhere beside this word, you can write that word gladly. In. And he would gladly have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. This guy was in a terrible position. But number five, look at this. God loves us when we want to come back. He loves us when we leave. He loves us in the mess. He loves us when we want to come back in verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father. And he was saying at this point, I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what anybody does. I don't think what anybody says. It's going to affect me and matter to me right now as much as it did in the beginning. Look at this. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And so again, I want to emphasize it does take sometimes the lowest point of our lives for us to come to our senses and realize the bad decisions we've made. This, this boy probably realized that he was one step from the grave. It was like everything at once had come into focus for him. He realizes what he has done, but yet he's still not capable of understanding the fullness of his father's love. Look at this. He begins to reason with himself in verse 17 and 19 again. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's? Have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. He's reasoning with himself. And he says, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, this is my plan. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So his plan is, he said, I'm going to work my way back into the good grace of my father. He was actually trying to figure out how it was that he could make a deal with his father. He's thinking about now this big mess that he's in. He's thinking about what he left, what he did. He's thinking about the conditions that he left in, what he did with his inheritance, the position that he's in right now, realizing for the first time what a mess he's made of his life. And he begins now to be thinking about how he can work himself back into his father's good grace. How can he work all of this out? I wonder in many of our messes, how many times have we ever tried to make deals with God? 
You say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean, I wonder how many times that we have strayed and drifted, and we all do. How many times have we strayed and drifted, and, and we've come up with a plan? You see, this boy in this big mess, this, this hog pen, he came up with a plan. He's trying to make himself believe that he could do this and say this, and he had it all worked out. I wonder how many times in our life when we stray away from God, we come up with this plan, and this is what we say. Okay, God, yes, I'll come back to you, and here's what we're going to do. God, if you do this and this and this, prove to me that you are Yahweh. Prove to me that you are Jehovah. Prove to me that you are Elohim. El Shaddai. Prove to me that you are God. God, if you do this and you take care of this mess and this mess and this mess, if you do this, then I will do that. You do all these things for me, God, and then I will do this. But I want you to learn this important truth this morning. When we mess up in life, we cannot manipulate God back into our lives with a relationship. We cannot manipulate ourselves back to him or him to us. Listen, God cannot be manipulated. So this is what the boy does. He heads back home in number six. And I'll call for our musicians come this morning. I want you to notice this. Number six, the father's love in response to his return. In verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Look, things are really different now for this boy. The last time he walked down the road, he was going down the road in rebellion now he's walking down the road in humility. The last time he walked down that road, his pockets were full. This time he's walking down the road, his pockets are empty. Now he's making his way back and the father recognizes him. The father not only recognizes him, but he recognizes that he looks different now than he did when he left. I can see the guy now. He's saying, give me my inheritance. And I want it now. I want it now, Dad. Give me the money now. I'm out of here. I'm tired of you. I'm out of here now. You understand what I mean? Now. And now the guy's in big, big trouble. Listen, when he's coming back to the Father, it ain't about this stuff. He's not coming back. Hey! That's not how it's working. The father looks out and he sees this boy coming back much different than the way he left. Something about the mess, something about the trouble, something about the problem, something about the lesson he learned, the love he reminisced about, something. And you think about this just for a minute here. He's not coming back with pride and arrogance and disrespect. In verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and read, look at this, and fell on his neck and kissed him. All the while, 
the father sees his son coming. Think about the heavy broken heart that the father had in all of this time, this distance. But the father knew that everybody in town were going to be shaking their heads. And this boy knew that when he got back, everybody was going to be shaking their heads. He was going to face the shunning. But the father and the boy could care less. The boy's father ran out and bore that child's shame and wrapped him up and forgave him. Now, look at this. This blessed me probably more than anything in the whole story. It's one word in verse 23, but let's look at verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And look at this and bring hither the fatted calf. You know what I believe? I believe that when this boy said, I want, I want it now. I want my money now. There's a commercial about that, isn't it? I want my money now. When he goes out, he's in the riotous living. This is what I think the father did. I think he turned to his servants and said, there's never been a Saturday in my life. But I just believe one day he's coming back. So I want you boys to do something for me. I want you to go out there and find one of these good, good steers. And I want you to give him the best stall we have. And just want you to get this ready. I want you to get that cow fat. Because when he comes home, we're going to have ourselves a party. The scripture doesn't say go get. Look at this. Don't go get. A calf. Is that good? Don't go get the calf. You go get the fatted calf. I have grazed it. I have grained it. I have raised it. That boy's coming home. Go get the fatted calf. Don't ever give up on your family. Don't ever give up on your loved ones. This boy's father began right away to shower him with blessings. It was not going to take a process. This thing was real. It was happening in real time. The father called. Look what he did. He called for the best robe, the best ring, the best shoes. And here's what I believe. I believe the robe and the ring and the shoes represent what God gives us when we return to his side. The robe represents cleansing. The boy's father, look now, he did not put clean clothes on dirty clothes, I believe the boy took a bath. He got himself all cleaned up. He got himself a new robe. And look at this. The robe represents forgiveness. Think about this. When we sincerely come back to God, he sincerely cleanses us. He washes us from all of that. He puts clean garments on us. And then he gives us a ring. The ring is the assurance of sonship. Now I belong to Jesus. He belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for all eternity. The devil will try to make us think that we're not part of God's family anymore because we've just gone a little too far. We've done a little too much. We've wallowed in the mess of life a little bit too deep. But listen, when we come back to God, we wake up. <laughs>
We come back to God. He puts a ring on us and reassures us that we belong to him. If we confess our sin, we're sincere about it and confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just some of it. He's not going to put clean clothes on a dirty body. He's going to fix us up, clean us up. The Holy Spirit washes us and he puts that sin in the sea of his forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. Hallelujah. The shoes represent that we're walking in a different way. When he came back, this boy was dirty. He was penniless. He was barefoot. But his father's love turned it all around. Today, you might know somebody that's in that position. Maybe you're in that position. I promise you this, don't ever give up on God because he will never give up on you. Don't ever give up on your loved ones. You say, well, preacher, it'll take more than a hawk pen to get, get this one back. God's love is deeper than any ocean. It's higher than any mountain. You want to know how much God loves you and the wayward? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. I want to close by reading this in 25 through 32. Now his elder son was in the field and he came and drew nigh to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, thy brother is come and thy father hath killed thee, fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answered, saying to his father, Lo, these many years, I've been raising that calf, I've been grazing that cow, been graining it and doing all this other And many years, lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which had devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed him for the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me. And all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive and was lost and is found. We, we need to remember something, folks. God still loves us even when we are at our worst. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.